Yes, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Reinforced Running Podcast. Today, my co-host, Josh Reed, and I, we do a deep dive on habits and vices. And I personally have found that the single most important piece of long-term improvement is creating habits around your goals and making, making them automatic and sticky. But there are inevitably vices that will pop back up from your past, which can sabotage your improvement. So we do some deep dive on the nuts and bolts on some of the common vices like alcohol, THC, and sugar. And and then we talk about how these could impair your actual physical progress. Then we talk about how your biology can interfere with your goals. We give you info on how to become aware of the reward center and how it works and how you can actually take control of your actions and fight against that. We also talk about why stress leads to cravings and pushing you towards safe behaviors and some strategies to handle that. Plus, we talk about how to set goals that will actually stick. So it's a lot of timely info here headed into the holiday season. So stick around so you can get some ideas about how to plan for your holiday get-togethers. All right, so during the episode, you will hear Josh and I, we talk about Athletic Brews, which is a craft non-alcoholic brewery. And when I first heard of Athletic Brews, I, I honestly thought it was silly. I know there is a place for NA, uh, but a craft NA didn't really seem to make any sense and really kind of seemed just like a soda, in my opinion. Like you still get the calories, but you wouldn't get the buzz of the booze. So why wouldn't you just have like club soda or something? But then I I tried one of these and I've been a craft beer drinker for almost a decade. So I am a little bit picky on 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 what I like and I know a, a lot about beer. But when I had them, I was I was actually blown away. Like they taste legitimately good and they make me feel like I'm participating in the fun. So they're a great way to enjoy a social aspect of drinking without the physical deterioration and the shame of a hangover. Plus, as you'll learn in this episode, athletic brews come with a fraction of the calories that a regular craft beer would have, which does contain a mean caloric punch. So I was sold, and so much so that I became a brand ambassador for Athletic Brews. So this episode is brought to you by Athletic Brews. So you can use the link in the show notes to head over to their website. Use the code RICHR20, all caps, for a discount on your first order where you will get 20% off if you just want to give them a shot heading into the holidays. My favorite is the Run Wild IPA. It actually makes me happy. So cool. Let's get into some stuff. Here's my homie, Josh Reed. What's up, man? How are you? I'm swell, man. Did you just grab some tea? Is that what you said you were doing? I had, uh, I got this ashwagandha tea, and it doesn't taste, it doesn't taste very good. Yeah, ashwagandha is like an adaptogen, and adaptogens for our, for all I really know, it's just kind of like, it might do something, but it might also not do something. I think the people that use it as terms like a stress manager, which leads right into this conversation, which we're going to have, because today we're talking about some vices and stress is really something that can lead to a backslide into some of the vices that you might have that might keep you stuck in one spot, might be hurting your training, might be hurting your performance. So Josh, this is your idea. What was the impetus behind this topic that you wanted to touch on? Man, I, well, so I, with well, people that I talk to, whether they're, they're my clients or just friends, uh, folks that I meet, something that I just realized a lot in the, not just in the regular population, but amongst athletes is like a lot of us still like to drink. A lot of people smoke, not mostly cigarettes, but a lot of people are smoking weed. And, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, I'm like, wow, that's super duper prevalent. And I don't hear too many people talking about like the implications of that. 
what that means, how that might affect your actual performance. And I saw, like, I got curious about it and I looked into some statistics. And I mean, as far as people that admit they smoke or they take in, say, cannabis, it's 10% of the American population, which that's how many people admit it, right? right? So that's one in 10 people, right? And then I looked into athletes, more, more so endurance athletes, a lot of them. Uh, smoke and they use it under the guise of like pain management or getting the flow state and then like nba athletes upwards of 80 percent of them admitted to using it so i'm like all right a lot of athletes are into cannabis let's dive into that totally and i think this is a really interesting and cool topic because the way we're going to kind of approach this conversation in particular we're going to go through a couple of these things like we're going to talk about specifically what alcohol does specifically what thc might be doing to you and some of the things that might be hindering you with the food that you're eating because i think that's really where there is a disconnect it's like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna drink and i'm gonna feel like shit but really like why and how is that gonna hurt and same with 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 weed like what is it actually doing like is it helpful like you might feel like it's helpful there's been a lot of positive information out there about marijuana in particular so it's like let's break it down let's see exactly what's what's happening here for the the athlete in particular and then we're going to talk a little bit more about why you might have some struggles with these in particular issues and then ways to kind of combat that, especially coming into the holidays, right? Because these are where these times are, are extremely difficult for people when it comes to avoiding booze, uh, avoiding overeating. And there are definitely some triggers there. And we want to talk about some of those triggers and then what you can do to potentially help or help you kind of get through it without feeling like you've completely screwed yourself over and are are hurting your goals long term. So that's really the entire conversation here. And I think it's really important for everyone to understand that and just to be able to cope with it a little bit. And hopefully this information will help people, you know, take it and do whatever they will with it. So let's get it started. So Josh, what are we talking about first? Yeah, let's talk about, let's see, I actually got alcohol on the front page. Yeah, let's spit alcohol because that's probably what's far more common than cannabis utilization. So, I mean, I know you you enjoy your beer, right? Mm-hmm. I enjoy a good drink here and there. I see, I see other athletes posting their drink after their endeavor, whether it's like a training run, whether it's I mean, a race or just every day. You get a free beer after That's a true. race. And I didn't even realize that there are like a full like group of people out there who will get drunk before the like the night before the race. Like at the whole party weekend, these races end up being, I forget, someone told, it was like a term, like frat racers or something. Like something that has to do with like partying and then racing and then partying more. And that's a whole subset of people as well who are into it. So it's like, like there is definitely a celebrate a celebratory element to the, these endurance endeavors and people celebrate often with alcohol. And so people are drinking and they're drinking a lot. So yeah, I'm, and I'm, I'm no different. I will certainly imbibe. <laughs> Yo, speaking on that, the athletic brew after the race that they've been having that, I appreciate that. Cause like, it feels the same. It's like, ah, I'm being healthful. Dude, athletic brew. I can go on and on about how I thought it was dumb and how it's actually awesome. It's, <laughs> it's actually awesome. So yeah, like that definitely helps feel like you're participating in the celebration and it tastes good. Just athletic brewing. Totally not yeah. sponsored. Good shit. I am an, an ambassador, but I don't what? like, yeah, I am, you know, actually, what? I am an athletic brew ambassador. Cause I think the product is legit. I think it is helpful for people who like, and now I haven't had, 
a drink in like over three weeks, but I've had athletic brews just because it just helps. It kind of, it does kind of give you this sense and that relaxation, it kind of, it, the taste and just the, the ritual of it will kind of stimulate or like kind of remind you that what alcohol does. So you kind of feel like a little buzzy with like the first couple of sips, like you, it, it does help trigger something and it helps you feel like you're participating a little bit, but it's got like as much alcohol as kombucha. No, oh, yeah, no, there's definitely nothing in it. It's Buzzing just, it's, it's just the taste. And, and that was actually in, in a book that I've been reading. It's like why we eat what we eat is what it's called. And a lot of times like scents and aromas will trigger a response and not, and it's just like the response that you're expecting comes from that. So there's actually one cool thing. This is where I'm digressing right off the jump. But one cool tangent. thing about it, t- tangent, are is that I read that when you're doing something like hard, like painful, if like you smelled something that is sweet and inviting, like brownies or like sweet caramel, that it actually lowers the amount of pain that is perceived. So I actually thought about this. I was, and I bought some essential oils and like they have like chocolate brownie and like French vanilla flavored essential oils. And I was, and I haven't done it yet. I'm thinking of it and like putting it on like my wrist or my hands during a hard workout and like smelling it to see if like that good feeling lowers the, the perceived pain that is happening during this run. I haven't done it, but it could work. I'll be waiting for a full report on this. So athletic brews are awesome, but alcohol in general it can be awesome, but also can it not be awesome. Yeah. Ultimately, like what we're talking about here is the relationship that we have with these things. Like it's not bad, bad, bad. It's it's just, it can be, or it can mm-hmm. be pretty good. So we're going to give you the information so you can kind of break it down yourself and uh, yeah, just, just check your relationship with the stuff. So I'll, we're just going to spit some facts about it right now. Alcohol, all right? Biggest thing, since we're talking about athletic performance, for, uh, first and foremost, since most of y'all listening like to run, like to be athletic, is uh, is how this stuff actually affects your performance. I mean, if you're in that category, that group like the frat bros that are drinking before, like during and after, there are probably not too many of them are on the like the elite stage. No, they're not. Like, they're not. They're not on the podium at any capacity. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's some great beer milers out there, though. I'd love to see some uh, some elite beer milers. Just some really good athletes that would go sub five, right? But they're also really good milers. They're also really good milers. This is true. This is true. Also, the effects of alcohol become more deleterious as the endurance of the event increases. So one of the biggest things about alcohol, it's like, why do we wake up with a hangover? What's going on there? Well, it's, it's a lot of it's dehydration. It's a diuretic. And... The fact that it dehydrates us, well, the obvious implication for performance is like you need to be hydrated for performance. And why is that? Well, it's, it's essential for cellular function. And the thing is, when you're dehydrated or when you're, when you're, when you're excreting toxins, which is something that's going to happen when you drink a lot of alcohol is you end up excreting more calcium and magnesium, which is essential for muscle contraction. So you're going to have a higher likelihood of having cramps. Hmm. You're going to have a higher likelihood of having cramps if you have alcohol in your system. Another thing that goes on with dehydration is temperature regulation. You need to have a good amount of fluid in your body to be able to say sweat. So that's another issue right there. When your muscles get hot, that is one of the things that can contribute to a breakdown there or the, well, the decreased functionality. My guess is that has something to do with the brain recognizing that like the muscles overheating I'd have to dive into that a little bit more, but there is an effect there. Another thing is and that's so that's like directly in your in your running right there because also if you're actually drunk while you're running like your balance is off if you're running through the trails maybe a shot loosens you up and you feel like you get into that flow state something to be said for that but ultimately it impairs your coordination 
and we want to be coordinated out there. For sure. And when you're talking about this, this is saying like the day after, right? Like this is, if you drink the night before a hard workout or a race, you're probably going to be dehydrated. You're probably going to have a hard time cooling yourself off, which is going to really be detrimental to your performance on, on during training and during the race. Like the race itself, like if you're drinking the night before your race, okay, you're probably not that serious. But if you're drinking the night before a hard workout, you might be serious, but you might as an athlete, but you m- might not be really putting as much thought into like your training and how it's going to affect you long-term and with everything that you're doing. So it's going to just ultimately stunt your progress. If you're not able to go out to a workout and hit it to the fullest of your capability, you might be able to do it. You might be able to do it like a little bit off, but like, it's just like those little things that do add up and that you need to consider that if these, if your muscles aren't contracting and firing, if you are more dehydrated, like your performance is not going to be great in practice. And like, that's ultimately how you get better. Totally. Yeah. It's, a lot of it's cumulative. I mean, there's, there's things that happen quite acutely and right, kind of immediately. And that's kind of that uh, diuretic issue, uh, mm-hmm. dehydration or increasing in heart rate, lack of coordination. Those are all things that happen while the alcohol is really in your system. But yeah, if you're drinking super frequently, especially more than a couple of drinks, like every night, uh, then you end up having other issues like say, deficiencies in vitamins your body begins to have difficulty absorbing specific nutrients and a couple of those include the absorptions of vital nutrients like b1 b12 folic acid and zinc and why like that's super important b1 uh, is responsible for your body changing carbohydrates into energy and plays a role in nerve signals and muscle contraction b12 is involved in hemoglobin production necessary for synthesis of dna to rna and assist in producing neurotransmitters like dopamine and epinephrine we can get into that one later talking about the pleasure responses Mm -hmm. and then zinc you need that for immune function cell division breakdown of carbohydrates again Folic acid works with uh, B12 to make red blood cells and helps iron work properly in the body. So you look at all that. It's like, all right, I need all that in order to repair the best that I possibly can, get the most gains I can out of the workout I just did, and wake up tomorrow ahead of the game best that I possibly can. Absolutely. And that's the, like from that perspective, like it's there's not very much in terms of redeeming qualities when it comes to alcohol. What do you think in terms of dosage like where is there a line is there a line is it i mean if so like what is too much well i was a little disappointed in the lack of information in that particular area because most of the stuff that i researched came from like the national institute of health uh, inside tractor and there's there's not a lot of information as far as the particular amount Certain studies show that perhaps one drink a day for women can be healthful. Two drinks a day for men can be health uh, healthful under certain circumstances, but it doesn't specify whether those were athletes or not. So that was an issue I had with that right there. Yeah, and that's kind of the thing. And I think that when we're talking about like drinking alcohol in excess, I think what like a lot of these studies, these recommendations consider excess is well below what like I would consider excess. Like to me, drinking to excess is like, 12 drinks right where it's like in these things are saying it's like two and a half so i think the way that most people at least people that i know and that i keep in my circles the way that they drink is just exponentially more than what anybody can even potentially study you know like it's hard to to really kind of figure out what is happening to people when they drink 15 drinks in one shot and like how that's actually going to deter because you can't really put them like, I don't see how you could do that in like a lab setting, sit, sit there and, and watch somebody get 
turn and be like, all right, now let's do a muscle biopsy to see what's happening. I'm sure it's not good. Yeah. Yeah. That one can, that one can definitely seem like an issue, but I, yeah, as far as what might actually be too much, that's going to be dependent on your, your body composition, your overall body size and your history with alcohol, because yeah, we do become a little bit more, well, I guess your body becomes more adapted to taking in those particular toxins, but that's not, isn't necessarily a good thing. And when you're an athlete, like a lot of the studies, I, I feel that look at alcohol as a healthful thing for like one or two drinks a day, whether you're a woman or a man respectively is that it's going to, it's going to thin your blood. It might increase your heart rate a little bit. And there might actually be a little bit of a cardiovascular benefit from that, but that's kind of obsolete for you as an athlete. You're already getting these benefits. So mm-hmm. if this particular thing is reducing your ability to take in nutrients as an athlete, you need to be at the, at the heightened end of being able to do these things, absorb nutrients and get good sleep. And this negatively influences those things. So alcohol also negatively affects your sleep. That's, mm-hmm. that's very impactful for you as an athlete because sleep is where most of the restoration happens. It's restoration for your body. It's where most of the growth hormone and testosterone is produced and muscle uh, yeah, reparation occurs. And alcohol decreases, doesn't just decrease testosterone and growth hormone by as much as 70% in some studies just already, but it's going to decrease it more through that disruption of your sleep because of the sleep stages. So. And for anyone who's ever had like, like you're wearing your whoop strap today. Is that a whoop strap? Yeah, you see it, man. Oh, yeah, you're, back you're on, on. You're back on it. So, back I mean, if you, I mean, these are really popular. The Aura Ring, Apple Watch does this stuff. Even your Garmin will kind of track some of your sleep. And if like you've had drinks and then put on and wore that fitness tracker to bed, you'll see that it knows. Like your your resting heart rate's jacked. You'll be in the red. Like it will, it will definitely relate back to it. And it can be deceiving because we may feel like we are sleeping well or we're sleeping soundly, but really. There is a difference between being unconscious and be and and being restful. Like you, you're just kind of knocked out. You're not in any type of natural levels of, of sleep, and that's not restorative the way that it is. So, it like, and it's a slippery slope when it comes to sleep because sometimes people will can kind of depend on alcohol to sleep well, or at least to get to sleep, and it's not helping. It's not the same. No, it's not. Yeah, it can it can reduce your sleep latency, and you can get to bed a little bit quicker, but ultimately, it's going to uh, affect your the amount of cycles you go through, the amount of deep sleep, the amount of REM that you get. My, like anecdotally speaking, like I got my whoop strap on, I'll recognize that, yeah, my, my resting heart rate is higher. My HRV is lower and I can see that on the chart throughout the day, uh, throughout the night rather, and that everything's elevated and my respiratory rate might be increased. Mm-hmm. And ultimately I have less time spent in deep sleep. I think I'd have to look back at you, but I think more so deep sleep than REM because uh, I don't know if you found this either. People listening probably have experienced this. Like if you you get passed out drunk and you sleep until like nine or 10 the next day, you get like this last minute rebound rapid eye movement and you end up dreaming a shitload like in the later hours of the morning, you know, but that doesn't necessarily make up for everything that was disrupted earlier on in the night. No. Deep sleep is really important earlier in the night. And I'm just generalizing here. A lot of folks that go out and drink and do, you know, a social thing, you end up going to bed later. And that is what ultimately is a big disruptor as well in uh, deep sleep and that super restorative body sleep. Call that. I just call. I just coined that term. Body sleep. That is that body sleep. Yeah, that's not the same as regular sleep. Deep. That's that deep sleep. That's that uh, SWS sleep wave state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're getting yeah. sleep. And yeah, you mentioned like you're gonna stay up late. It's gonna be a lot. Uh, and like this is maybe not be as sciency as the things as being able to absorb some of these vitamins and minerals that we're gonna be missing, or the diuretic piece, which is literally going to hurt your 
like your function as a human being, but like just the mindset and like the actual behavior that you're going to exhibit while drinking, even a couple of drinks is going to really is not going to benefit you in any way, whether it is staying out late, whether it's eating something that you typically wouldn't, whereas going overboard on, yeah, like just doing things that are not in your normal character and are not going to serve you well are really things that are going to be more likely to happen when you are drinking and your inhibitions have been lowered. It's that there's this state they they speak about. It's called being in a myopic state. And when you're drinking, What that means is like all you care about is the next thing that you're going to do and what's happening right in that moment. And when you're drinking, like that's the state that you put yourself in. And so nothing else matters. That hangover that's going to happen the next day, it's not as present to you when you're drinking. All you care about is what you're feeling right then. That's why drunk food is amazing. That's why that extra drink is like worth it to you in that moment because you can't separate. You wake up the next day like that was unnecessarily and stupid because you're not in that myopic state but when you are like you can't really separate the right now you versus tomorrow and this is really and like your workout that might happen tomorrow or the next day or the race the, the next weekend it doesn't matter as much because all you care about is like what you're going to do literally in that specific moment so from like just a mindset piece it is really detrimental from that perspective and And another nuts and bolts piece is really just the caloric effect of alcohol. And, you know, we talk about nutrition on here sometimes and, and it's not always, doesn't necessarily have to be a calories in calories out kind of formula when it comes to performance and body composition, but a lot of times it is, and there are calories that are associated with alcohol and it is a macronutrient. So your body needs to process the alcohol when it comes in and actually it processes it immediately. And that's why you get drunk right away. Like it comes in and your, your body processes it. And the byproduct is that loopy feeling that you get. But from a calorie standpoint, it's seven calories per gram of alcohol, whereas carbs are four, proteins four, and fats are nine. So like when you look at like, say your Michelob Ultra or your White Claw is a good example, right? It has Great like, choice. what's that? Great choice. Do you, are you a White Claw, White Claw guy? <laughs> no laws? No, no, laws no, no. Drinking like White Claws? But those were classic choices you chose regardless. Yes. Thank you. So you see that there's calories on there. I'll be like, or like Michelob Ultra, I'll just use that because this is part of like their marking. It's like two grams of carbohydrates per can. Like, oh, cool. Like carbohydrates, that's what makes you fat. But you can, and so two grams of carbs would be eight calories, but there's still like a hundred calories in the actual product. That's because the alcohol percentage accounts for that. And that is exponentially more into like a craft beer. Like if you're drinking like a new England style IPA, which is going to be like six to 8% alcohol, and it's going to have residual sugars in there. Like you're looking at like 300, like 500 calories for like 12 ounces of drinks. But Rich, I can't use that like during an event as fuel. It does not work the same way as fuel. It will not store as the, as the way carbohydrates would store. And like we said, like how I just mentioned before, you need to process the alcohol. So everything else goes into storage mode. Like if you're burning at a certain rate or you're, you're needing to kind of like you had a hard workout before and you're using these, trying to utilize these carbohydrates to shuttle things back, like the alcohol takes precedent because you need to get, to get that poison out of your system. So if there's any type of fat burning signaling that's going on, it's going to 
halt at least a little bit. It needs to just for the sake of getting this alcohol because it is actually fuel. And it's really hard to run on like three different fuels at once. So the alcohol is going to take precedent. And that's really how it's going to stunt your actual fat loss goals, but it's going to pack on a shitload of calories as well. And then you're going to eat pizza late night. And that doesn't help at all. Doesn't help. Oh man. Yeah. We'll talk more about that with the THC factor, but yeah, man, that late night food. See, it's all a puzzle. It's also like, Oh, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Next thing you know, blammo. It's like, I'm in bad shape. Totally. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, alcohol, it's got to get, you know, it can't get used immediately as alcohol. Got to get stored as fat. And then you can like re uh, reutilize it as triglycerides. But yeah, it just gets, uh, gets put to the side. So it's not, it's not quick energy. It's not it's quick not. energy by any means. And also I saw a study that said that it uh, can impede your ability for uh, gluconeogenesis. So that's another way of producing energy, you know, from amino acids. So huh. not good there either, but uh. But yeah, all right. I feel like that was a good dive on alcohol. Let's move on to THC. Moving on. Sweet. All right. So THC, that's one of the things that I feel like people aren't as out there about. One, because it's it's literally illegal, like at least federally, pretty much in, I think, the entire U.S., federally yeah. illegal. Yeah, like you can't like take it through an airport or put it in the mail. <laughs> not a good idea. Not advised. But it is legal medicinally in some places, recreationally, or at least decriminalized in other areas. So so don't go walking around out there. But I, the, those that do like to, uh, do those that do admit it are, are pretty open about it. And uh, I've had some good conversations with folks about it. but. When it comes to, when it comes to like, we'll talk about the actual plant, like the whole flower, cannabis, weed, marijuana pot. It's, it's a multitude of things. You have a bunch of terpenes, a bunch of uh, cannabinoids, cannabinols, there's a bunch of different components to what's in the flower. When you think of getting high, that's THC, right? That is the psychoactive chemical that's in the plant. And that's why a lot of people smoke and a lot of other folks Maybe they're like, oh, I don't really care about getting high, but they want the other benefits. They want the, they want the improvements in inflammation. They want to reduce inflammation. They want to reduce some pain that they're feeling or some anxiety. So let's dive in on what the um, what it, that means for the plant and its constituents. So THC, that psychoactive product in that, that actually can improve you fall asleep. But study after study shows that it will actually decrease the quality of your sleep. Again, hmm. less deep sleep, less, mostly REM. Only small decreases in deep sleep typically, but strong decreases in REM. And what happens in REM sleep, that's where most of your memories, most of the things that you've learned throughout the day prior, that's where a lot of that information gets consolidated and, and well, yeah, kind of stored in neural, uh, neural pathways are reformed. So if you inhibit that, that's why you end up waking up with, uh, well, what, you know, like that stoner brain. You can't remember as many things. That's mm-hmm. kind of what's going on there is your brain ultimately isn't, it's not structured. It's not, as well. it's not like, yeah, it's not, it's not putting it, it's not like filing it away. It's just kind of, that's the way to put it. Getting, getting those memories out of there. Like they're just not sinking in. <laughs> Precisely. So that's, that's the whole pot brain thing going on with TAC is it's mostly hmm. just reduced REM. It's re- reduction in neural transmission and there was actually if i can find my appropriate note here yeah reduces neurogenesis and that's that's kind of an issue so neurogenesis is like the you're you're creating new neurons and that's where how you create new pathways and ultimately that's how we learn so Mm. too much thc that's going to inhibit that and that could ultimately that's really detrimental when you're in the younger stages of your life and your brain is really growing Mm -hmm. but 
we're still growing. You and I, we're still trying to take in information. We're still reading, you know, we're still uh, functional adults. We will be for a long time. So that it would be advantageous for us to reduce the amount of THC that we take in. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's an interesting point. And like, there is so everything is very pro marijuana at this point. It seems like that is being legalized in many states for recreation. He's just got New Jersey across the river from me, Massachusetts across the river from you. Like you can go over there and you're going to be able to just like buy it and, and be it. And, and it's all good. But like, I know, and, and, and everybody's very pro on, on the thing, but I know that there are plenty of kids I went to high school with who basically threw away their entire high school years because of smoking weed. And like, I don't see how you could even debate this. Like, Oh, it doesn't, it, it doesn't hurt. It's not that bad. It, it's like definitely not awesome. <laughs> it's not yeah, awesome. There's, for there's plenty of correlations between excess usage and less than ideal lifestyle practices and, and turnouts, but you got to love the anomalies. You got to love the, uh, the people who are quote unquote stoners and are just productive as can possibly be. And for some people it really works. And that actually, that segues well into the, the, the performance action of it because we just said it affects your sleep. But when actually used in athletes, I looked at one of the first studies that they did with athletes and the use of THC. It was a study in 1975 by, let's see, who was this by here? Stedman and Sai. So they took just 20 athletes and they exposed them to 1.4 grams of cannabis with 1.3% THC. So that's funny. There are, there are strains now that have way more THC, like upwards of 10%. 1.3 grams? That's that's that's, that's it? So 1.4 grams, bro. Of 1. THC. Of THC? Oh, no. So it was 1.4 grams of cannabis, which which that particular strain had 1.3% potency of THC. Oh, out of that, out of those grams. So how much, yeah. how many grams of THC would that be? Math. Someone do math. 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 Uh, ultimately, that's, I mean, even if you were to say like new age, that's not a super potent strand. I mean, to smoke 1.4 grams to your face. It's a full thing. grams a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a hefty J. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> and it's funny. They even specified that it was 20 to 25 puffs. They use the word puffs. Oh my God. 25 puffs but i guess yeah. back then yeah it's not as strong as it may maybe now yeah they're like they were glass pipe mind you uh so check this out what they saw was an increase in heart rate an increase in systolic and diastolic blood pressure reduced work capacity and although there was no change in grip strength or uh exp- expiratory flow rate that they still saw yeah right that's that is important maintain their grip strength but ultimately their work capacity was decreased now whether that was directly because of the changes in blood pressure or heart rate they didn't specify right there but they did say that there was a decrease so now just to clarify is this in this study was this these metrics taken while they were high or is this post this was over a let's see if i again oh no. it's over time this was over time. I think that this particular study, they had them uh, take this in over the course of four weeks and they had a placebo group that took that smoked, they either smoked a strand that was uh, lighter in THC or they had a different product uh, altogether. You know, smoke this oregano. But yeah, they had those. They had the, that control group that did not take in THC and they maintain their work capacity. So I thought that was an important thing to, to show. I mean, if you have athletes, whether it's like the NBA players who... Uh, are playing you know their sport or or surfers or or skiers we all have different demands for our sport and this is where i like to kind of play devil's advocate for something like thc which can get demonized because again we're talking we're giving this information so so people can have 
you know, better relationship with it because the knowledge is the power here. You know what you're getting into and thus you can navigate the waters a little bit better. When it comes to THC, which is the psychoactive component of cannabis, which by the way, you can get plenty of cannabis these days without the psychoactive component, which is CBD products. We can talk about in a bit, but when it comes to THC, although it can affect you negatively in some aspects of performance, where it, there is some interest for me and some intrigue is in what it can do for flow state. So smoking a little bit, and there's a diminishing return on this, but they, in a subjective study, they talked, they interviewed skiers and surfers, and they particularly, those two, like surfer bro, you know, it was super stereotypical, which was, I thought was hilarious and awesome, but they said that it actually helped them because, and I've seen this, I have friends that skateboard, they smoke a little bit, and I swear to God, they get better. They get better at what they're doing because something happens where they just flow. There's less critical thought. Mm -hmm. And this is where I get really interested in this is because although THC itself can reduce neurogenesis, entering flow state is where neurogenesis can increase. So that's, that's kind of contradicting right there. So I would say taking that bit of information, the way I interpret it is it's dose dependent. If you were to say smoke a, a little amount of THC and enter a a realm of, uh, of thought, a brain function where you actually feel like you are improving your performance. And some of it's objective, some of it's objective. We just read a study where they had decreased uh, work capacity. That's an objective thing. But if you're a skateboarding mm -hmm. and you just feel like you can throw better tricks, what, and people see that you're throwing better tricks, it's like, oh, well, that's, it seems like it's helping you out there. Yeah. So there is some hope for it based on that for THC in particular. So just in, for the sake of... Uh, the conversation in full disclosure, like I was never one to use THC growing up because it was, it was, you could get in so much trouble when I was in high school. It was like the thing that like, I had friends there who got like in a lot of trouble, like almost had felonies put on their, their record just by having this, like not even like selling it, just like having a certain amount and it was smoked and I didn't want anything to be in my lungs. But like in the later years, like even just in the past, like three or four years is when I've really kind of started to, to experiment in this. And especially now because it has been legalized in some States and there's, it's easier to get things like edibles, which are going to be almost primarily THC. So I will definitely use it from that perspective for recreationally. And I feel like that it, it does kind of create this ultra awareness around the things that I'm doing. So in terms of how it's going to help in get you into a flow state doing something physical, I could definitely see how that would work. I haven't done anything necessarily physical while using THC. So I can't speak to it in particular, but you used to be a, a biker dude. So I'm sure like you've been in circles with things like that. Have you used THC and gone like trail running? Cause that's something where I could, where you could see like being in a flow state could help. Yeah, so though I actually, I, so I've, I've definitely had my share of smoking. And when I, for for probably the ages, I was I started, a, I was a late bloomer in my high school. A lot of people were smoking and I wasn't the best student at the time. So I decided, all right, uh, I, I don't want to smoke because God forbid I fail high school. I, yeah. I don't want to know that that had any, any involvement. I didn't want to be the stereotypical dropout. So I passed school, everyone. Yeah. Congrats. I, I didn't smoke until I had graduated. But from that point, I, I enjoyed the increases in creativity and the altered state of mind and kind of back to flow state. There's a great book that I think everyone should either read or listen to called Stealing Fire. We've spoken about this before, mm -hmm. but they talk about disintegration and how certain substances or certain activities can help you disintegrate. It can kind of shut off, I think, your, your prefrontal cortex. There's a change in what your how your hippocampus is acting and you 
actual place that's simply just like it's more it's more instinct it's more instinctive there's less critical thought and something very interesting happens there where you have an increase in gray matter you have a now you can your neural pathways can alter and it's a different way to actually learn but if you want to get more detail on that the book explains it way more better than i can more better than more i better. can more definitely better. more better uh, than you can but long story short yeah i did a lot of biking and quote unquote extreme sports and whatnot but i found that smoking didn't do me super well it i didn't feel like i was better i felt like it messed with my equilibrium a little bit and i i saw some some of my friends going smoking yeah they got better but although i smoked i didn't really like to do it during activity it was more of a sit play music be meditative read an interesting book sort of thing for me and yeah. uh, i also i don't like it during trail running again i just i feel like i get high enough out there i just really enjoy the way i i feel out there through heavy breathing so for me it doesn't work but i again i know plenty of people that do like to smoke before they go out for running although i would say don't don't smoke because tea most cannabis is higher in tar and in carbon monoxide dioxide than even tobacco believe it or not so right. sorry folks that love to smoke and think it's good for your lungs it's it's not better it's, not. it's, it's worse than cigarettes it's just one of those things that's just like use your fucking brain and how people used to think cigarettes weren't good like oh there wasn't there wasn't any evidence that cigarettes are bad for you just like think about it for a second like breathing in smoke into your lungs like how could this be good? And that's what this is like where the pro marijuana people, it's like, oh yeah, it's not that bad. Nothing's really bad. It's not that bad for you. It's just like, mm, just like think about it for a second. I'm sure it's worse. Like if you smoke, if for me, if I smoke and then my lungs fucking burn, that's worse than if that smoke was not there. Just, I don't know. I don't need much scientific evidence behind that. Dude, and I'll I'll say, man. I mean, uh, I have I have clients who have told me I won't even ask them. They'll just straight up be like, "Yo, I stopped. You know, I stopped smoking, and I can feel a huge difference. Whether it's one week, three weeks, a few months, it's like they it's no really noticeable the difference in in lungs. If you know, if I smoked, I haven't smoked in a while, by the way. So, and the reason I haven't is because I can. It's really obvious. I can really recognize how my my respiratory tract feels my throat all the way down to my lungs, my chest, the tension that I feel on my chest. I just, I prefer to not have that in there. And you know, I smoked cigarettes for seven years too. So I had a lot, I had a lot that I worked to get out of me. So I'm going to try, I'm going to try and keep it that way instead of going back in that direction. And you have an apples to apples comparison. Like, you know what it feels like to have smoked cigarettes and like, it's not that dissimilar from what it feels like from smoking weed from, from what I gather from what you're saying. Anyway, it's interesting that like going back to the alcohol, Alcohol affects my breathing considerably. Like it takes about two weeks for my breathing to really kind of come back to just like a baseline of what I would think is healthy. Did you say two um, weeks? About two weeks. Very interesting. Like noticeably different. And, and it might just be an inflammation inflammation thing. I also have asthma. I've always had asthma. So I, it might play into something like that, some sort of allergy that I have with alcohol or whatever else is in the alcohol and how that inflames my lungs. But after about two weeks, things really kind of clear up on my end. Rich, do you know if asthma, is asthma an autoimmune issue? No, I don't think so. Because that, that, to me, that means like your body's attacking itself. Right. Yeah, yeah, like overactive immune systems. Like, hey, this is bad. Let's go help it, but it's really doing more harm than it is good. Yeah, don't believe so. Okay, all right. I'll just look into it. That's a good I'll question. Just, yeah, I was curious about it because I mean, yeah, like smoking can increase inflammation, even though there are uh, anti-inflammatory aspects to parts of parts of weed, mostly like the CBD. But, but alcohol also inflammatory, so that can affect autoimmune issues. So folks like me who have uh, Lyme's disease, we want to keep that at bay. It also behooves us to keep inflammation low. So avoiding some of those particular vices, they don't work out well for us. Totally. You don't want to be all drunk and high at the same time. <laughs> then that don't help nobody. Fun Dude, time, but not, not that. That's, uh, that's like an occasional spaceship ride. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so, man. so yeah, with, with these things. And one thing I did want to know, cause I have heard that, that this helps in some ultra for some ultra runners is that it could actually be like increased appetite, which I'm glad while running, that. you know, so that, that, that is kind of how it's seen to help performance in terms of ultra endurance. It just helps you eat a little bit more when, when some might not, when, when some might have struggles with that. I'm glad you brought. I'm glad you brought that up because eating enough is. I, I feel like I see it everywhere right now. I feel like a uh, relationship with food is really is a really big topic I've seen in the sports world right now. Whether it's being shamed for eating too much or being a certain weight or whatnot, but there's there's people on various sides of that that spectrum. And if you are an individual who is having difficulty getting in say enough calories, and maybe something like THC could benefit you in this regard. That doesn't mean smoke it. You know, it means you know maybe another way. If your doctor says that that's what you should do, you know, get your doctor advice there but and then you know know thyself i i eat plenty i don't have a problem getting me in four thousand calories a day if i eat and i get the munchies close to bedtime i'm gonna wreak havoc on on my sleep so i that's i gotta know my relationship with the stuff right there. yeah it's gonna end up being worse for sure but yeah yeah, that is uh something to be said for it and i think that that is actually a tool that can be used for someone who might have a hard time getting in calories just on a day-to-day is having some THC. yeah and it comes like a tincture it comes in edibles like you can you don't have to smoke it you don't have to smoke it. But for everyone that's listening that likes weed and says it does all this in that form, if, if it's not necessarily the psychoactive thing that you're after, after and you want these other benefits from it, I couldn't recommend CBD en- uh, enough. I've used it a lot. I know a lot of other folks, if you, Rich, you've used it. CBD, yes. CBD. Yeah, man. I mean, that's where you're going to get a lot of the anti-inflammatory benefits. You're still going to get that sense of relaxation. It can improve the amount of deep sleep that you get. And I saw some studies that said uh, little amounts can increase REM. More can can decrease REM Hmm. or at least not REM, but the dreams. And for those of you that don't necessarily like dreaming or have PTSD, you know, there's benefits in dreaming a little bit less for you. But if you want the benefits, you don't need to smoke. You can get something that's less injurious through, again, a tincture, a CBD tincture, a full spectrum, includes a tiny bit of THC. So there's a synergistic role that that plays. Not, again, enough to make you like psychoact- have a psychoactive effect, but enough to play a positive role as all of those different chemicals intermingle in your body. Absolutely. Yeah. See, um, CBD, worth a shot. Like, it's not going to hurt. It's not going to, like, you probably won't, you'll probably take it, probably won't feel anything might like it might not so it's worth a shot yeah yeah worth experimentation and although they don't sponsor this podcast and i'm not currently under contract with them but king buddha has awesome product i can't recommend it enough it's super it's incredibly potent it's well priced and yeah i I absolutely trust those guys so totally yeah i think i think the code kb20 will get you 20 percent off kb kb pro 20 holla let me know if that works yeah. <laughs> cool. So where do you want to go from here? Do you want to keep rolling on like the sugar stuff or do you want to kind of lead into some of the pleasure center stuff? What do you think? What do you think from here? Sugar and then pleasure center. Ooh, let's yeah. let's talk about sugar, right? Because I'm often one to to talk about with the athletes I coach and on this podcast about making sure we're eating enough food and the role that carbohydrates play in, in making sure that you are eating enough and you're recovering well and you're performing well and sugar is a carbohydrate. And I, you know, the question does pop up often. It's like, how much sugar should I be eating versus like trying to avoid excess sugar? And, you know, ideally you don't want to just like take in, you know, eating gummy bears or whatever it is that for your carbohydrate intake. But ultimately when it does like carbohydrates 
how they function within the muscle and, and in your energy system, like they kind of work evenly to my understanding, like doesn't necessarily matter, but there's other elements of the carbohydrates that will like kind of change the effect. So let's talk about like the excess extra sugar piece of uh, nutrition. But uh, yeah, the reason that I definitely wanted to include this is because it's like it's holiday season. You know, my mom's just hitting me up and she's like, yo, I, you know, I, I got you a little box of box chocolate. My mom loves doing stuff for the family and bless her soul, but she can't not get me like this chocolate almond bark and I can't help but eat it. It's delicious. And I'm going to feel like a jerk son if I don't, if I don't eat the gift. Right. But the fact is I eat this stuff and I end up being exhausted. Like I'm cloudy in the head and it's just because it's, it's too much like pure sugar. And it just made me think like, yo, this is the holidays. Like whether it's Halloween or Thanksgiving, Christmas, whatever, it's like, there's gonna be more treats around. A lot uh, of pies. A lot of, oh dude, the pies, man. And you know, it's, are you, uh, are you a pumpkin? Do you like pumpkin pie? Oh, for sure. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. For sure, man. More than apple. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's because it has a little bit less sugar. And I, I got a sensitive, a sensitive tongue for too much sugar. I'm like, ah, it's just too much. You know, you got the apple pie, like there's that, there's sugar add to the apples. Then there's sugar all over the crust. Mm-hmm. Some people are like watering at the mouth right I now. Love, I love like oh. a really, really sweet dessert. Like I like, yeah, like, like, well, the best pie to me is like a chocolate pie, but that's kind of cheating. I think that's cheating. <laughs> Like yeah, chocolate's pie. already good on its own. Yeah, you've got a chocolate pie. Just put it in a pie crust and call it a pie. It's like mm. <laughs> anyway. So yeah, that, that's that's a great point because yeah, that's something that comes up and like it's very an, an indulgent time of year. And when we're coming into it, it's, you just can kind of say screw it. Like I'm here. It's the holiday season, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you should feel bad about it or you should completely try to avoid it. But just be aware of that. These factors will play into your performance later down the road and just like your body composition in general. So with that extra sugar with that extra sugar. Yeah. I mean the, the thing with, with the, a lot of sugar, I mean, yeah, as athletes, we take it in, it is energy and it can uh, definitely have a positive role right. There is a balance to everything. There's diminishing returns. So having too much sugar, which would be super easy to do like that box of chocolate that I had, I probably consumed somewhere in the ballpark of 200 grams of sugar. And I mean, in no time. And that was yeah, far more, Grams of sugar, not carbohydrates, right? Like that straight up sugar. And you know, it was, yeah, it was pure, it was pretty much pure sugar. Like they make their concoction, they have the chocolate and then they just pour the sugar in it. It's not like some complex carb, you know, that has a little more uh, honor to it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Literally complexity, but it was, it was just too much. And what that does to the human body is it spikes your insulin up super duper high. And if you do that very frequently, you know, when you wake up and uh, you got some like leftovers, a bunch of carbohydrate, right? Lunch comes around, you got like some candy hanging around or some other treats or a little bit of pie left over and you have that. It's like all these fluctuations up and down can end up making you feel even hungrier and you end up eating even more and you become less insulin sensitive, especially since you might not be exercising as much because it might be a down season for you. Mm-hmm. And all of these things contribute to higher levels of inflammation and uh, poor sleep quality because like kind of you can find the the tone of a lot of things we talk about has to do with the effects on sleep, you know, alcohol, THC, sugar, these things can negatively affect your sleep if handled improperly and like too much sugar, especially close to bedtime, which might be influenced by a little alcohol or THC. Maybe that can, that can end up that can end up giving you making you like wake up in the middle of the night, you can become hyperglycemic, your insulin goes up, then it drops down, you don't have blood sugar, your brain freaks out, then that's with your sleep cycle, you wake up feeling uh, like you got that sugar hangover. And ultimately, that's just not like a super fun time. So it's like, all right, how do we how do we navigate that? How do we navigate that during the season? How can we 
tackle this in a way which is healthy for us and makes us feel happy. And like, I like what you thought when you said that about like the timing of, of when you're taking that in. So this isn't necessarily like, Hey, don't eat or stop eating this. Like just change it around. If you want to see if sleep is an issue, which it is for, you know, a lot of people, a lot of athletes, like sleep is hard to really kind of like nail. And if that is something that if you're eating some sugar that you might not know if it, and that's another thing with sugar, you might not know what you're eating, it has a lot of sugar in that. So just kind of changing the timing of when you're eating things can really kind of create awareness around that. So I would definitely say, yeah, just kind of moving around what you're eating, not necessarily eliminating things, but just kind of being conscious of what you're eating and when. Yeah, totally. And I, I feel like that's even good enough. No need to like beat a dead horse about the excess sugar. It's like, don't eat it too close to bed. It's better to eat it after your your exercise. And if it's, you know, you're taking time off from exercise, you know, don't be totally totally stagnant. You know, you want to make sure that you are not necessarily earning all of your all of your sugar, but just know that it's part of a healthy lifestyle to move your body to eat to eat well and not in too much excess. And ultimately, that's going to keep you running in maybe not tip top shape because you're not peaking, but it's going to keep the ball rolling smoothly and keeping you keeping you healthy. And so sugar in general is really for a lot of us can almost be thought about like a reward, right? Like the way we feel about like eating that almond chocolate bark or like having a piece of pie or having ice cream after a a hard day of work. Like this is something that we consider a reward, right? And when we talk about the reward center, there's one, one thing that we hear about often it's called dopamine. And like dopamine is the thing that is released to make, to give you an incentive to do the things that are going to make you happy. Like ultimately our body is looking out for us, right? It wants us to be happy. And so dopamine is that is what gets dropped in. So it makes you remember what makes you feel good. And I believe this exists to kind of help us from starving back when there was like really not this complete surplus of food to us. So it's like, it gave us incentive to eat things that were high in calories uh, and that would keep us going. Things like sugars, things like fats. So this is like how we feel good. So our body's telling us that we, that we should want to eat this by making us feel good, even before we actually have the, the item itself. And this is where things get really tricky, right? So now we're kind of one, like that's what we're like pitted against our biology when it comes to trying to, to keep things like sugar or maybe even like alcohol and THC for some can also be these rewards because our biology wants to make us happy and keep us going. So it's hard to separate what we need versus what our body is telling us that we should want. So Josh, for you, what comes to mind when talking about dopamine, like, and are these things that you consider when you're, like factoring in what you're going to do day to day or has, have these kind of like reward centers changed your behavior? Have you become aware of these over the years? Yeah. Yes. To a degree. And you know, dopamine is one of those things. And the first thing, like literally as soon as you said dopamine and like reward center, like the first thing that came to my mind was my cell phone. Mm -hmm. Uh, And That's one of the biggest things these days, which is a whole other conversation, which I don't even know where to begin. But it's like every time it dings or you look at something, you see the like and that's that hits your dopamine. And I I guess I'll compare it to insulin sensitivity. It's like the more the more you fluctuate your blood sugar levels throughout the day, the more insulin insensitive you could become and the harder it can become to process 
these sugars and actually make that sugar a, a healthy, beneficial, functional, important thing in your body. So dopamine, if you keep triggering it all the time, it becomes more and more difficult to trigger it. You need more. And that's where things start to get a little bit risky. You know, it's like, oh, well, now I need to eat more treats or I need to you know, smoke more or drink more or do it more often or get more stimulus. So as far as, as far as like me recognizing that, I mean, I, I try to do little things like, okay, I want to eat right now. Let's push it off. Just be, to put some logic behind it instead of being like a, acting on emotion, mm-hmm. acting more from a place of logic. It's like, oh no, this is the time it makes sense to eat food based on the activities of the day or what I have going on. My, my phone, I deleted, I deleted Instagram because I don't have the willpower to stay off of it. So I, I delete it for a few days if I don't want to be on it. So I haven't had it for a few days. So trying to recognize my actions of hedonism and, and, and alter my environment so I can operate with some control. And it's, it's hard because like I said, like we're essentially conditioned to want to feel this and like, yeah, the cell phone is just the worst thing ever. Like the way that social media has really been engineered to trick our brains, like using this against us to fight for our attention. Did you watch the social dilemma on Netflix? Have you seen this yet? No, I'm about to right now. Yeah. Multitasking. Yeah, it, it's it's really good, and I mean, I know it's it's been really popular, and a lot of people have seen it. But if you haven't, definitely take a look at it. It's a lot of the things that you kind of already know are happening by the way you're you're constantly drawn to your phone or drawn to anything, and and they're all kind of using the same formula and using dopamine to make you feel good before you actually are using the product so that you go back to the product. And even just going on it is, is making you get that little hit and then anything else that you're on there. And that's how you end up on, on, I use Instagram as well. That's, that's my personal advice. Like TikTok is even more addictive in this way from, from what I understand of it. But like, you know, Facebook uses it, YouTube uses it, even like Gmail, Strava. These are all things that are going to use things to help that are going to try to pull you back onto it. And just, like that's how you get lost. That's how you like, how am I on Strava again? What was I, what did I come on here to do? You know? And like that, that's definitely something, yeah, this is a whole different conversation, but that is why like dopamine is the reason why you end up on here. It's just people have engineered things to use it against us um, and use it for their, for their profit. Those scumbags. Yeah. Uh, and, we, uh, and we see it on the the counters of all of our grocery stores, every single aisle. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's one thing when you sort of think of the different vices, whether it is alcohol or sugar or your cell phone, like start stopping and like thinking about how this makes you feel like if it makes you feel good or makes you feel kind of bad, like just like the thought of it, or even like kind of like out of control, like, like impulsive, like that is what dopamine is. And like, that's that feeling that you get. It's just like an urge that makes you feel that way. I don't necessarily get like this way anymore, but it used to be for booze. Like I used to like love the idea of like a weekend and just like a whole like trip with my boys just hanging out and drinking it would just make me get so excited and just like an urge to do those type of things so yeah it could be your cell phone could be drinking could be sugar it could be the whole deal and you really need to kind of pay attention to what these like re the realities are around it and and the promises that these vices don't deliver on so like slowing down and considering like what you're actually thinking what you're feeling and then think about like the actions that you're about to take and what is really going to happen and versus what you're hoping for. So like 
thinking about drinking, it's like you think it's going to be relaxing or, you know, it's going to be fun, but really like it's going to lead to like hangover or fogginess or it's going to lead to it's going to work against you ultimately and essentially to like guilt and shame more often than not in a lot of these vices. So paying attention to like what the reality is versus the false reality that dopamine is, is kind of luring you to. Man, you just made me think of, have you read the book, Discipline Equals Freedom or Extreme Ownership? Uh, Jocko? Yeah. I've read Extreme Ownership, I believe. Word, yeah. So he talks a lot about like discipline equaling freedom. And that's like what I'm thinking about while you're saying this. It's, it's like recognizing that the like the dopamine sig- signaling, the fact that your body wants to trigger it again and trigger it again. Like you're being mindful and, and like just taking a minute, like you said, to think about it and wonder, am I in control? Who's calling the shots here? Mm-hmm. And if you can recognize that something it's not necessarily your brain wants the wants the sugar burst. Your dopamine receptors want to get hit. But it's like if you can have the, the if you can realize what's going on and then have the discipline to hold off against it, that gives you the freedom of choice, a freedom of action, freedom from a hangover, freedom from these deleterious effects, you know, freedom to yeah, make decisions. So taking a minute recognizing that's probably the most important aspect of everything we've talked about is just like actually thinking about it when you feel when you feel the sensation now to go do one of these things think about it or just sit back and and yeah just just take a look at the playing field and these things happen so fast that you you don't even know that you've done the action and what you were hoping to get from so that's a way you can kind of test it out and like thinking about what the reward that you're anticipating and then actually do the action. So social media is a great example, right? Like, okay, I'm hoping to go on social media so that I hear from a friend or I hear from somebody talking about how great the podcast is. So yeah, shoot us a note. If you like the podcast, let us know. But like, like, like what is the reward and what is, at, and, and then go onto social media and see if the action matches up with the anticipated reward. And most likely it's not going to, right? Or at least you would know, you'll be able to kind of eliminate that. It's like, okay, stopping and slowing slowing things down to see if what you actually want is what's happening. So like almost using it like as an experiment instead of just like having this, this rush, this out of control urge to do something, whether that might be binge eating or eating too fast or popping on social media and just like thinking about what you want to get out of this action and, and then do it and then see if it actually happens or not and it's, I like that. it's very like it's a very self-scientific way to kind of go about things self-qualify figure yourself out and it's just it's gonna be hard every time you want to do it because it is so addictive but that is the dope like learn knowing about dopamine and why it exists and and that it exists is just helpful to understand your actions and and then why those don't always line up and that's just kind of like a lead way into some of the the ways that we can kind of sabotage our own goals. And this is another important time to talk about this thing. These type of, these conversations is talking about goal setting and figuring out like what you want to do down the road and and kind of how you might get in your own way and and why that might happen. Because leading into off season, it's always like, all right, cool. Like I'm going to put in a bunch of work. I'm going to change a bunch of things. And then, you know, you might not. And whether that, if that is like doing strength training or cleaning up your diet or running more or, you know, cutting out booze or whatever it is, there, there are barriers to get that, that are going to get in your way. And we want to try to give you some strategies or just some, create some awareness around it just so that it's not, 
insurmountable because it's not always as easy as, all right, I'm going to go after this and this is going to get better. There's some things that you need to kind of navigate along those, along those ways. So I want to talk about why you might screw up your goals. And then <laughs> tell me, man, I need to know. I need to know. So there is this thing that happens. It's called moral licensing. And then this is when you do something good. It then allows you to trust your impulses and then it leads you to doing something bad. So it's like thinking about like, oh, I'm, and this happens. This is why we see, and like, which can be, you know, really disappointing and seeing like, like our political leaders, like having like affairs or something like that, or like they might think that they are a good person. So therefore, if they do something, no matter what they do, they're a good person. So they're not doing bad things because there's like this dissonance that's been created, right? I sense the slippery slope here. So like when you do good things, you kind of trust yourself, which will then can potentially lead to bad things. So you can kind of get roped up into this, this moral licensing. I used to work with this guy and he had this, he, it was at a gym. He was actually a gym owner and he brought in fit aids. He had these fit aids that came in and he had a fit aid fridge and he was drinking them. He loved them. And I was talking about, it. I was like, oh yeah, like these are cool, but I don't like this one as much. It has a little bit too much caffeine. So like depends on, depends on the time of the day. And he's like, he's like, no, those don't have caffeine. Like I don't drink caffeine. And like, he had this idea that because he didn't drink caffeine, so he wasn't a caffeine drinker that like fit aids didn't have caffeine in them. And I was like, well, you, you can still have caffeine. Even if you don't think you drink caffeine, doesn't mean there's not caffeine in here. You understand that? And he was like blown away by the fact that he was able to drink caffeine because <laughs> he worked it into his head that he wasn't a caffeine drinker. And I was like, no, I don't think it, it, it works that way. So this can really happen in terms of like, of, I don't know, maybe being a good athlete and anything that works like could be, could be helpful down the road. Or if you're making good decisions with like being a healthy eater, this can happen, right? Like if you eat healthy, that quote unquote clean, then therefore you might not have to worry about the, the caloric, uh, intake for something because you are a clean eater and it might not, and you might not take in because you're a clean eater, you can't get fat, which isn't the case. If the engine's hot enough, anything will burn. <laughs> yeah. So like, that's one thing. It, like, have you ever felt that in yourself or any, or anything in terms of like the athletes that you coach where it's like, you kind of get wrapped up in like your own behaviors. In, in my like with my athletes i get wrapped up in my own behaviors or just like yourself like how like if you ever fell victim to something like this you think probably i mean i feel and this is you know my subjective view of myself but i feel like i do a decent job of kind of stepping back and assessing the playing field what's going on and seeing if i am being if i if i am kind of participating in that if i am kind of giving myself a free card or if this really is right or or wrong you know into those loose terms right or wrong so i would say i'd like i'd like to say that i don't really fall a trap to it but i'm sure i unconsciously do even though i still put a focus on it and that's what's hard about this is that this is this is a blind spot right like it could be like just because you are a fitness pro that everything that you kind of put into your programming would work. It could be along those lines as well. So it is just definitely a hard thing to to notice, but it really will will wreak havoc on those who, are, particularly for diets, like this is things that that have a hard time when you think you're doing something good. You think that everything you're doing is good. So just be on, be aware of of those type of things that pop up. Yeah, cheers to that. And how do you how do you feel about the whole reward system though as far as 
because everything in moderation, right? So it's like, all right, I finished a run and I'm speaking from experience. I have finished massive runs and I'm going to go get a half gallon of ice cream. Totally. totally. So that's the difference between having a goal and then achieving your goal and then achieving goal supporting actions, right? So those are not the same thing. So even if you, if your goal was to finish on the podium at the Spartan ultra world championships, right? Like the, that like 30 mile run that you did through the woods, that's going to be a task that's going to support those goals, but you haven't accomplished the goal itself. And if the goal itself is what you're trying to then push toward this, these are another, that's another way to kind of sabotage those goals. You haven't kind of created, you haven't achieved what you went out for and you were able to kind of let yourself off the hook because you're, you're saying you're doing something that you think is going to lead there. So you're kind of giving yourself credit for these positive actions and it actually can make you forget what the goal is. So if I'm hearing you correctly, it it kind of sounds similar to complacency. A little bit, but it's like, I don't necessarily think. Yeah, I did that. I did the work. I'm good. Sort of. Yeah, sort of. And that that's where when people change, that's why accomplishing a goal is hard because it is long-term. It is not just done in increments of one workout. It's one workout at a time built up over weeks and months and years. So like doing one big thing, and maybe that's part of the goal and part of the process, you still haven't quite gotten there. And you need to keep that in mind of what the actual goal is versus the behaviors that are going to lead to the goal, if that makes sense. I think I follow. Yeah. So complacency, I guess, kind of, but I'm not sure. Do you find complacency to be an issue in terms of performance for athletes? Well, for sure. I mean, I would say, I mean, I'd recognize it in in myself to a degree in previous years. Like I jumped on the scene, I had a great year. And then all of a sudden I thought I was doing a lot of work personally. And I, and then I realized I was doing a lot of work, like studying and uh, kind of building the, the, coaching the coaching business and, and putting that together and figuring out what was appropriate over there and then after a couple of performances where they were good but i just realized like oh i'm not doing as much work for myself as i could be should be feel like i am in my own mind so i, I would feel that i felt complacency for myself uh, in that regard just like not doing as much work as i told myself that i was doing now do you think that that's are you being hard on yourself or do you feel like that that is something that is objectively true? Or do you think that that's like self judgment? <laughs> I'd say for me, it's objectively true from, from others where I vocalize this. So like, no, you're putting into your workout all the time. You're putting in plenty of work. So it's, you know, the, the perspective It's nice to get the outside perspective, but I, you know, I got my journal. I look at my work. I can see what I've done, what I can do. And I can see objectively that, based, you know, that I'm capable of doing more. So segue, keeping a journal is really good for everything that we've just talked about. Really, absolutely everything. And, and keeping yourself accountable and recognizing this and coming up with strategies for yourself, whether you have a whoop strap and you have that kind of data, that's all that's good on top of a journal. But you know, if, if someone out there is, is drinking a lot of alcohol or smoking a lot of weed or eating a bunch, and it's like, all right, let's see how I can improve my relationship with these things. How can I uh, change up what I'm doing day to day? Well, start taking down notes. 
just start taking down notes about what you're doing. You know, it's like you got your exercises. I ran this today. I did the strength workout. I got this much sleep. And then you have a little note section that says, you know, I smoked at, you know, eight o'clock, two hours before bed, this amount. This is how I felt when I woke up. All right. No, I drank this much last night. And then you can find those trends and that's going to help you morph the way that you're living your life into a way that's ultimately making you feel the best that you possibly can. And that sounds like a great relationship with yourself. And creating that objective information is so crucial. Like you said, like when we use things like training peaks where we can look back and it will show you a stress score, it'll show you how many hours that you are able, that you were working. You're like, oh shit, I thought I was actually doing 14 hours of work, but everything I've logged is automatically put and put on here and it says I've been doing 11. Like, so there, there is something that you can, take away and having some sort of journal kind of gives you some of that subjective feedback as well, like how you're feeling and some of the, and how these things do relate. And if you are falling into those things of, of doing like celebrating a goal supporting action or letting yourself off the hook because you are, you're giving yourself arguments as to why you shouldn't have to do it. It's like, why should I have, why shouldn't I eat this ice cream? I just ran 30 miles, right? Like it's easy to kind of fall in, into those types of arguments um, with yourself over and over. You're not arguing with anybody else, but you're definitely going to argue with yourself on those ends. So keeping a journal is extremely helpful practice. Totally. Because by the way, when I have that gallon of ice cream in the notes, I might put like, I feel so energized. I got in 2000 calories for like $4. I might wake up the next morning and have a note that says like, got a little bit of a headache and I might write worth it. <laughs> you know, totally. like, now I know. <laughs> Oh, and there's, there's this other uh, study that I wanted to mention about this is like making progress toward the goal, like helps you lose sight of the goal. There was a study that, that happened once that where they gave dieters who were making progress toward their ideal weight, they offered the dieters uh, a, a reward, like a thank you gift. They gave them the choice to either have an apple or a chocolate bar. And these are people who are currently on a diet for losing weight. And 85% of them took the chocolate bar over the apple. And that over those were after you were, were reminded of the progress. So it was like, Hey, congratulations. You're you've lost 15 pounds so far as a reward. Here's an apple or a chocolate bar. And on the other side where they didn't give him that, like, Hey, congratulations, you've lost 15 pounds, only 58% of the people. So 50, 50 still, still not great, but way less people took the, the chocolate bar after they're reminded. So like sometimes making progress, like even if you did, do a long run, you may be like, okay, I'm making progress toward this marathon. I can kind of back off a couple of days because I can see the progress happening. Dude, um, that's such, uh, that's a great example, man. That, yeah, that's when you were asking me about like complacency or things I was recognizing in, in my life. When I had a really good season and I had a bunch of people congratulating me about like this win or that win and how good I was doing, I was like, yeah, I'm doing fucking great. I'm great. <laughs> my training's fine, obviously. Yeah. No, I'm leaving some on the table, but that, you just remind me that that's like, that's apples to apples, no pun intended. Yeah. yeah. So like, it's great to have goals, but like knowing how to continue to push toward them while you make progress is hard. And also keeping in mind what the goal is versus like what the process of reaching those goals looks like. And in terms of goal setting itself, because since we're on the topic, this is, you know, because we can all have goals, right? Like trying to, you know, again, par podium at the ultra world championships, you know, for me, it'd be like wanting to win the stadium series or whatever, or wanting to be on the podium at a U.S. national series race. Like these are all like goals that are out there and, and, and they're 
very much extrinsic goals of which you would like have a picture on the podium, get some cash or whatever, get a, get an actual award. These aren't always the greatest type of goals to help keep you toward an action to help keep you like on target because they are so extrinsic. So like the most generic way of, and the most overly preached thing is to remember your why behind those goals and what your goals are. And then like why you have those goals. And that's really going to help tie it in even much more. So like, why do you want to be on the podium of the ultra world championships? Or why do you want to win the stadium series? And then continuing to ask yourself that and kind of, asking yourself it four or five times, like having an answer. It's like, oh, well, I'm competitive and I just want to be the best. It's like, okay, well, why do you want to be competitive? Why is it important to be the best? It's like, well, you know, I just like, it just makes me feel good to do this. And just like kind of keep breaking it down and going lower and lower. And remembering this why is the real reason that's going to help you kind of stay on track where just wanting to win isn't a great goal, but having the why behind it is going to be really important. Now, is yeah. that a process you kind of go through? Oh, 100%, man. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And I love I love asking like one of the first questions that I ask any athlete before I take them on. It's like, yeah, what are these what are these motivators or inspiration around you inside to help kind of build the whole picture behind that? But yeah, man, I mean, if uh, you can you can do something because you think that it's it's like the right thing to do, but having having more to back that the the, the more you can put towards that, the more motive, the more of a of a, a dream you have, or the more uh, information you have, anything, anything you can do to build up the foundation beneath that, like the information we just gave about, uh, you know, like the shit that's going to mess with your sleep. Like, okay, that's great information to have to back up and include and to build on that foundation that you have combined with the fact that you want to be a really good athlete. Right. So even more on top of that, it's like, oh, I need to get good sleep. It's like, okay, well, why? It's like, cause I need to perform well. It's like, okay, cool. Well, why do you need to perform well? It's like, well, because it helps me feel good about myself. It's like, okay, why do you need to do that? It's like, it's like, oh, I need to do this because I need to prove that I have more and there's more ability here. And I need to, I need to figure out what my full potential is, or I need to be a good example for my kids, or I need to create awareness about this specific thing that is close to my heart. And I can do that through performance or whatever it is. And so that then ties all the way back into like why you need to get good sleep, why you shouldn't drink several drinks. And one thing that our friend Tim Silvestri, former podcast guest, talks about with his performance model called CERT is having a why connected to something that is greater than outside of your own self. So even if it is like, oh, I need to find my true potential, that's still something for you. But like if you can tie that to something outside of, of yourself, like it's going to even harness the power of your goal that much more. So like for me, for example, like when I go through that process, I think about, okay, I want to perform well and I want to perform well and train hard because it will help my coaching and it'll help my coaching in terms of the product itself and the awareness that performing well creates, honestly. And my coaching is important because that will make me a better partner and provider for, for my fiance and for the family that I might have down the road. Right. So like for me, performing well, isn't just about getting a cool accolade or running a fast time or saying I did something like I think is going to help my livelihood and my ability to provide and be a good partner. Right. So like it might not seem like running a fast 5k means shit to that, but like it does. And like remembering those things in my head will help me keep it on course and will help it help me not 
lose sight of it where if it was just for me, just for the sake of running of 1430 or whatever, like who cares about that? But tied up, tying everything back is and having it be attached to somebody else is really, really a helpful process. So I would implore everyone to do something like that or think about that, really dig deep in why it's important that you, you are doing this, and not just for yourself, but for somebody else. Dude, beautiful. Thanks, bro. And so once you have those goals set, and you're you're ready to rock. I just want to talk about another couple of ways you can kind of that to create awareness around kind of the backslides that you can have because even though you have this goal, you have it tied to somebody else, you're aware of that alcohol is not great for you, that sugar is not great for you, and you're aware of some of the other things that might sabotage that. There are still a couple of factors that will ultimately work against you. And one of the biggest ones is going to be stress. Um, So stress essentially is feeling bad, right? Or like, and your body, you know, wants you to feel good. So when you get put in this state of stress, you're going to seek some sort of rewarding behavior, which can lead to something like a craving, or even it could be something like excess exercise, or, you know, eating too much, or, spending too much time on your phone or, or on the internet or just watching TV. And it can be really hard to like fight against these because stress is very much in part of the world that we live in. And that to me has been a really hard thing to combat with the athletes who I coach who have really high demanding jobs is that the stress is going to lead them astray from the goal of performance in running or obstacle course racing because they're they're seeking some sort of reward to make themselves feel good i was gonna say what form does that typically take place like they hit a workout too too hard because they just want to like feel some reward of just like yeah i dug deep for that or they skip a workout entirely or like don't follow the plan or it could be both yeah it could be absolutely both like there's definitely people who want to just hit it hard every single day i believe exercise is a phenomenal stress reliever. It's like a way you kind of induce stress upon yourself to kind of work the stress out that is built up. And plus you get feel goods from exercise, right? You hit it hard, you finish and you feel awesome. Like doing the mile for the OCR stars, it was brutal, but like 10 minutes later I was floating. I felt, I was like, Whoa, it changed my day. Like, and that was like working as hard as possible for five minutes. I feel pretty good about myself too. If I just outran a tiger, <laughs> telling your body, you know, totally. It's like, Oh my God, like I push it as hard as possible. So you definitely get some, some feel goods released after that. And those are in the form of like, help me with these ones. What are the epinephrine, neopinephrine, epinephrine, norepinephrine, norepinephrine, like a pretty synonymous with adrenaline. And adrenaline, yes. So these are all other ones. Like dopamine is what happens before, but once you go through an action, there's things that can be released, like norepinephrine and adrenaline. These things can really make you feel up and feel good. So typically, exercise would be a good way to release stress, but it can be excess. Right? People can go overboard. It can be detrimental to your training plan for your performance. But when you're just when you're just turning to it for stress relief, it's not necessarily for performance. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how that would manifest in people is just kind of doing too much or going too hard because their, their factors outside of exercise are leading them to seek some sort of feel good. So it's going to hurt the performance long-term, but it's going to make them feel good in that moment. So does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a tough one, man. It's like, how do you find that that plays a role in your life as far as like things that stress you out, things that you might want to go to your ways of, of handling that situation? 
Yeah, I was thinking about this when I was kind of going through that. It's like, how do I manage stress in a in a healthy way? And I think I do a lot of the the things I kind of talked about where discipline equals freedom and kind of keeping things structured and in place and putting and having systems there when when I can turn to like mindfulness or reading or, you know, just listening to music or from even like listening to podcasts is really a, a nice stress reliever. I like, like I've found that now when I get stressed out, I put on a podcast and I start doing like chores and it's kind of like being by myself, listening to podcasts and like washing the dishes. It's so productive. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's <laughs> because there's non-productive ways to do it as well. Like another way that I've done that in the past is by drinking, you know, by drinking or, or taking an edible and just being like, I just don't want to, I just don't want to think this hard anymore. I just don't want, I just don't want to be here. <laughs> I just want to escape this for a little bit. This day, Wait, this particular day melt away. Let it just go and like, and have some sort of outside factor take care of that for me, which is not as productive as something like exercise or meditation. And I think I'm lucky because I do have such a rigorous exercise routine that I think I do work out a lot of the stress that might be there. And, but for me, it ends up being more on the natural side, just kind of like putting on a podcast and just relaxing and doing chores. <laughs> How about yourself? Do you have any type of stress relief activities? Dude, walking through the woods, man. Oh, yeah. Or running or running, you know, typically running, but walking is cool too. But yeah, either like absolute silence and walking or just sitting and breathing and like feeling my lungs expand, which is so nice to do, especially since I know it, the constriction you can feel like, you know, whether you're of the tension from being stressed or like you slept wrong or you were smoking too much. It's like, oh, I can feel I get like serious stress relief from feeling my my chest expand, my diaphragm expand, feeling a really big breath and just reminding myself like of the the healthy state that I'm in and what a blessing that is. So intro introspection with some external or some at least physical assistance, you know, that's that works out pretty well for me. But I find that food, even if I think that food's gonna help, it like never does. And that's very personal. That's very personal for people, right? Like it depends on on essentially how they were brought up. And this is something that I've been thinking about a little bit. It's like, it's easy to give a, a child something like food that's going to make them happy and you want your child to be happy, but then they grow up and they look at food as a way that creates happiness, you know, where, and like, it's just kind of something that's embedded. And there is that dopamine to make us make sure that we are eating, but where like we get the, the feel goods and like kind of the takeaway from feeling sad, like it, that's more habitual. I'm the same way. I haven't been the type of person who's ever wanted, who's looked to food to help things kind of melt away. But yeah, it's very, very personal based on like people's upbringing and, and kind of their relationship with, with food in general. And what's kind of bullshit about this is like that we, we turn to the things to make us feel good. And when we do those things, it kind of makes us feel bad again. So it's kind of this cycle, right? And it could be for drinking. It could be it's definitely for eating. So if like you're, you're, you're feeling stressed, then you drink too much. And then you wake up the next day and you feel like shit, you feel stressed again. And then like you look back to alcohol to make that kind of go away. And then it just kind of stacks on top of itself. And that's the same cycle that would happen with overeating. And like, you might not even know, you might not even know that you're turning to it to make you feel better. And like, you just are so fixated on making the feeling go away and, and hoping that the food is going to help that you're back in this place of feeling like shit and feeling shameful about it. So that's what's, what's really dangerous about stress is that we can turn to these vices that we talked about before as an answer to help the stress go away. And it just kind of 
creates that stress back onto yourself. Um, so that's why it's important to find things. Yeah, man, because those are all those are all extrinsic. Those are all external factors. You're not like creating the internal machinery to handle all these things yourself. Exactly. And then when you start doing that, like, and these things that aren't going to be beneficial for you, uh, it's just a slippery slope. And, and it's something that we all kind of deal with because of the stress that we're feeling. And we're just like in a high stress society, as I'm sure everybody listening to this knows, everybody feels uh, extreme stress quite often. And there's multiple ways to deal with it and, and dealing with it in a healthy way isn't always the first thing we want to do or know how to do or would seek to try to do it. Going to the thing that you that you know will work like food or alcohol is usually the first place to go. Yeah. Well, I, what do you say, man? Let's uh, kind of drop this one off and just leave people with a couple of action steps. Absolutely. So yeah. So it was a good conversation we had about this. So when it comes to it, just kind of creating awareness around the things that you're doing, especially with the alcohol, with the marijuana, with the sugar, I think that's the first step. And it's really knowing what you're, what you're taking in, knowing what the consequences are going to be and just kind of keeping that goal in mind and having that goal be tied to somebody else. And they all, all of this, this whole conversation ties together that way. Um, what do you think? Yeah, 200%. And I mean, I think the best way to to do that is, is to journal. Listen, journaling is not for sissies. Some of the most successful people in the world journal. Some of the the greatest like Stoics and philosophers, they all journaled. It's it's imperative. You can look back at this stuff that you would otherwise forget. And you can, you can figure out, you can write your goals down on one page and you can go back and check on those periodically. You can have action steps throughout the journal. Listen, I got, I have a stack of composition notebooks and all of them have different things in them. And some of it's for, for journaling that the way that I'm feeling it, the things that are going on. But if you journal, you have that right in front of you, you wrote it down. It's your own accountability. If you uh, whether you're, you're drinking, you're smoking, you're eating too much, you're not getting good enough sleep, write that shit down. Come up with a, come up with a plan. I'm, I'm not going to tell you the, the perfect plan. It's going to be different for, for all of you. Just check in with yourself. It's like, Oh, do I feel better? Okay, this might be this might be something good. Maybe I'll do that again. See if it continues to feel good and manifest in positive ways. You got to figure it out. It's not always going to be self-explanatory. It's not always going to be someone can't look at it and tell you what what's going on. Nobody can do that. You got to figure it out yourself. And journaling is the best way I found doing that as well. And that's actually a really good stress reliever for myself as well. Like sometimes I feel I, I journal every morning and then I try and sometimes I'll get like a little bit wrapped up and I don't want to do it. And then I always do it. I'm always like, Oh, right. That's why that's why I do it. And my journal is nonsensical. Like if you were to open it, like I, you wouldn't get any of my secrets, my handwriting is so bad in it. They, they, <laughs> there's no sentences in there. They're just words. It's just like a brain dump, but just getting it all out just feels good. Just Amen. Feels good to get away totally. From yeah. You're definitely feels like you're spilling it out of, out of yourself. Even if it's not, whether it's like super factual, like what I did for sleep, or if it is more emotional, like it does feel really good to like see it on paper. Cause it feels like it's no longer in me. I don't have to contain it. I don't have to remember. It's like, ah, all right, you're out. You're out there now. It's weird. I heard about that before. It's like, I just wanted to get this out of my brain. And I was like, that's stupid because it's still in your brain. You don't just transfer it out onto, but like working it out, it really helps give clarity. And it's like, oh, I'm feeling anxious. I felt anxious for two days. And just being like, why do I feel anxious? Start writing out what's happening this past two days. Like, oh shit. Like, that's right. Like, this might be why I'm feeling anxious. These things are happening. I feel this way. Like, this is something that happened at this time last year or last month or whatever it is. It just really, again, kind of creates that awareness. So, yeah, man, if nothing else, getting a journal, writing down whatever you're thinking, whatever you're feeling around any of these things, around anything that's going on ever. And that's part of the, the part of the uh, process that I have the athletes to start with me is like, 
okay, you're creating this goal. Like you obviously are serious about getting better at running or obstacle course racing. Like you, it means enough to you to reach out to me and to have this conversation right now so that you want to change things. So like there are going to be things that happen during this process that I want you to be aware of. And like, I want you to think about how you feel about exercise, how you feel about weight loss, how you feel about muscle gain, how you feel about performance, just to, just so you know what's going on during this process. And so you get some actual change and some feedback, like starting a journal, if you, if you want to change any type of habit or, or kind of create, again, create awareness, it's the best. It's the way to go. This makes you want to go journal right now. I'm going to journal right now. All right, bro. So yeah, it would be rude for me to journal while I'm talking to you. It would be rude. I got my, I got my puppy. I got my puppy sitting on my lap right now and he's had some stomach aches this past week and he is just farting right now. It is not good. So I'm going to get this dog outside and then I'm going to enjoy my day. Josh, where can the people find you? Hey, the people will find me. I'll probably download Instagram tomorrow. Joshua Reed is J underscore S-H-U-A underscore R-I-E-D. That's me, Rich Brother, where we find you. You can can hit me up at reinforced underscore running underscore rich. And honestly, we do love hearing from you guys. If you have any feedback on the podcast, reach out to us. Let us know. We're always up for uh, a chit chat on Instagram. I, I, I will speak for Josh and I both that, you know, we do love hearing from you guys, positive and negative feedback. If anything comes up that you're, you're feeling like you want to hear about or something you don't want to hear about, let us know. We're, we're always down to chit chat, man. Holla. Cool. All right, peeps. We will talk to you soon. Peace. All right. I hope you feel armed and ready to head into the holidays and come out a bigger badass than you were before you went in. So lots of info there, but there, but the application of the info is the hard part. And now that's up to you. So if you have any questions about some of these things that might pop up at some strategies, make sure to shoot us a DM on Instagram. We dropped our handles just before so we can kind of help you through and just kind of brainstorm some things on that end. And if you did want to try some of the athletic brews during the holiday season, I, I know I will, uh, then make sure to follow the link in the show notes. Use the code RICHR20 for your 20% discount on your first order. And if you like the show, please hook it up with five-star review. Say something nice. It makes us very happy. Great. So thanks for listening, and we will talk to you soon.